Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, February 21st, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book, Chapter 10, Two Employers, and we'll be starting on page 137 at the bottom of that page, beginning with the paragraph, Nearly Every Modern Employer. The reference number for yesterday, the share code for yesterday, which was Wednesday, February 20th, is 3940. 3940. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members we are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Eddie to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you, and I pass. 
Thank you, Irini. I'd now like to ask Margaret to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning. My name is Margaret H. from Illinois, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you so much, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 10 to Employers, and we are on page 137, the bottom of that page, the last full paragraph, which begins, Nearly Every Modern Employer. And this morning, I'd like to ask Penny C. to please get us started. Good morning, everybody. This is Penny C., a recovered compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Nearly every modern employer feels a moral responsibility for the well-being of his health, and he tries to meet these responsibilities. That he has not always done so for the alcoholic is easily understood. To him, the alcoholic has often seemed a fool of the first magnitude. Because of the employee's special ability, 
or of his own strong personal attachment to him, the employer has sometimes kept such a man at work long beyond a reasonable period. Some employers have tried every known remedy. In only a few instances has there been a lack of patience and tolerance. And we who have imposed on the best of employers can scarcely blame them if they have been short with us. This this whole um, picture that this this uh, chapter is painting of the workplace and the difficulties that the disease of alcoholism, indeed the disease of compulsive overeating, can place on the the, the uh, smooth running of a business is is so well described. You know, most of us, I think, as I have been part of this picture in the past. I'm looking at just a a little bit in the paragraph preceding this, and it says, we think the business fabric is shot through with a situation which might be helped by better understanding all around. And as we look at this page and look at this uh, writing and realize that in 1939, alcoholism was not seen as a disease. And it was seen completely in a different light than it is today. The other thing I think about here is that most businesses, at least at least three that I've worked for, have provided us, the employees, with an employee assistance plan where now the employer, the supervisor, can can refer a person to the help that they might need. And it's confidential and and um, very often it's just what the person needs at the time to get them over a hump and get them back on the right road. This is, um, this is for me, um, there were times that I know as an employee that, you know, my disease of compulsive overeating got in the way of my doing a good job. Indeed, when I did my fourth step, that was one of the things that I had to look at, and I had to make amends. In in, in um, the ninth step, I had to go and, and actually talk to one of my one of my bosses and and let her know that I was I was not at my best. It wasn't her her imagination that I was not doing well, doing my job. That I was actually cheating the company by not putting in my best efforts. And the employer is frustrated. They, this woman, I know this woman loved me, and yet she, she didn't know what to do. And it was all because of my compulsive overeating that I wasn't performing well. So, the, you know, this makes me think that, um, as you know, employers have, have a very difficult job not only with the alcoholic, but with, with us as compulsive overeaters. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning, it's Leah. One. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead. <laughs> Hi, Janice. Good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And obviously we're in Chapter 10 here to the employers. And, you know, this is the effort um, that 
these experienced uh, recovered alcoholics now are are taking to to enlighten employers about the pervasiveness of the illness uh, in the workplace. So it says here, nearly every modern employer feels a moral responsibility for the well-being of his help, and he tries to meet these responsibilities. Well, anyone that knows me, and we've studied this book previously together, knows that when, when I get into this chapter, I can't help but remember uh, Mr. John Shalpak, because it was Mr. John Shalpak that uh, asked to see me in his office uh, in you know, my, uh, I guess, my, my late, uh, well, as a young adult, as a young adult, knowing that um, there was something wrong with me, that I was in the grips of a disease. Now, this was in the 80s, and certainly um, eating disorders, compulsive overeating, anorexia weren't quite uh, the media splash that they are now. But um, the fact that his employee, I was dabbling in a little bit of anorexia then uh, as, as a remedy to my compulsive overeating, as an effort to uh, stop this urgency and desperation for the next bite, I decided not eating was a good idea. And I had a tendency to pass out on occasion in the work environment, uh, let alone the fact that I was losing my hair. So anyway, I was confronted by Dr. by Mr. John Shalpak and the co-workers. Not a comfortable situation, but you know what? Uh, I was in uh, tremendous denial then, and um, you know, thought that uh, they were just should mind their own business and get on with their own duties. So the fact that you know he had a moral responsibility and he took that responsibility, he did what he could at that time for the well-being of his help. Uh, and he tried to meet that responsibility. But, of course, me and my illness in the, this disease, which is uh, coated with denial, thick layers of it, uh, I didn't want any help. Uh, it says, because of the employee's special ability or of his own strong personal attachment to him, the employer has sometimes kept such a man at work long beyond a reasonable period. And, of course, that's true, and I remember those words. You know, I remember uh, you know, him saying, you, you have uh, that spark within you. I can see that spark within you. I see your, your strengths and your abilities, but obviously uh, you need some help here. Can I offer you some help? And I rejected that help, and of course, the disease in the end had its had its way with me. Uh, but I will always give uh, a word of gratitude for someone that tried to reach out to me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I'd like to just briefly comment on this paragraph as well. You know, the, I believe that, that the big book, you know, really strikes home here in saying that most employers, nearly every modern employer, feels that responsibility for the well-being of his employees and tries to act on that, and tries to act on that. You know, we oftentimes owners of businesses and supervisors and managers, you know, they they do. They they see and they might have business as the bottom line, but they're not unfeeling, they're not uncaring, and sometimes they see something that needs attention and they try to draw our attention to it, as Leah was just saying. You know, they try to do what they know to do. 
But what they know to do was never anything that could possibly touch my compulsive overeating. What they knew to do couldn't help me, even though they offered to try to help me. What they knew could not touch my compulsive overeating. And I would think to myself, you know, they they have no idea. They have no idea. They might offer remedies. And and who can blame them if they've been short with us? Who can blame them? You know, perhaps you're one of those people like me who has had a warning or two at work. You know, when I was on, I was completely on. I was a great employee. I had enthusiasm. I tried to use my abilities to the best I could. But when the compulsive overeating overtook me, when that thinking and the behaviors of a compulsive overeater overtook me, I was not a good employee. And you know what? There was nothing I could do about it. I had at that time no solution. So who who could blame the employer for getting frustrated, for saying, why does she not continue to do what I know she's capable of doing? And sometimes they care. You know, sometimes they do you know, have a strong personal attachment or a special interest in us as an individual and there's nothing they can do about it. You know, so I think the big book is so wise in in showing us that, that it's not necessarily the fault, although I wanted to blame my employers oftentimes rather than look at myself because what else did I have? You know, the, the disease of compulsive overeating is indeed fraught with peril of denial, you know, that it can't possibly be me because I had no solution yet myself. And with that, I'll pass. And Rick, would you like to read the next paragraph for us? Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Here, for instance, is a typical example. An officer of one of the largest banking institutions in America knows I no longer drink. One day he told me about an executive of the same bank who from his description was undoubtedly an alcoholic. This seemed to me like an opportunity to be helpful, so I spent two hours talking about alcoholism, the malady, and described the symptoms and results as well as I could. His comment was, very interesting, but I'm sure this man is done drinking. He has just returned from a three-month leave of absence, has taken a cure, looks fine, and to clinch the matter, the board of directors told him this was his last chance. Well, here we have the uh, the bank officer who is a uh, who's a, a, a recovered alcoholic trying to uh, help a another officer who has an alcoholic in his employ, and he's trying to uh, let him know that. He also had this problem, and he's beginning the conversation of telling him about his the solution he had. And um, he, he, we're going to see later when we read that the, the the friend with the employee that has a drinking problem um, doesn't quite understand what he's trying to be told. He says he thinks he's he's got his employee hasn't licked because he's taken a leave of absence. And it also says he's taken a cure, he looks fine, and he just doesn't understand the gravity of the problem. He thinks that um, this employee has 
has matters under control. And besides, it's his last chance. And what more uh, could we do but, 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 but give him a last chance, a last warning? And to a non-alcoholic or a non-compulsive overeater, that seems like a very plausible answer. Um, you know, you, you better do this or else. And isn't it the same with, uh, with food? Don't people that um, do not share our compulsion think that it's just a matter of stopping, a matter of seeing uh, some of the trouble, a matter of, uh, of, of feeling, feeling like things are bad and just making up our mind to put down the food. And we know that's not true. We know that's not true with alcohol. We know it's not true with food. And we hear it at the workplace all the time. Um, people just talk and talk and talk and talk. And um, how many compulsive overeaters have you heard talking about solutions that they know about it, but yet they're in the throes of, of, of eating and they're morbidly obese? Those tend to be the people that know the most. And the same thing with people that don't have the problem. They got the answer, too. Just put down the fork, just push away from the table, and everything will be all right. If you don't do this, you're going to have health problems. That should be enough to, to, to fix you. That should be enough to uh, slap you out of your, your, uh, your confusion and, and get your, your head on straight. So um, we're going to see further on that this executive gets frustrated and the, the theme I see here is it takes one to know one. It takes one to know one. Um, many, many people have think that the answer to compulsive overeating is simply a matter of willpower, and we know that's not true. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Judy this is I heard Judy, and then who else? Kim. And Christy. Judy, Judy, Kim, and then Christy. Thank you, Janice. Good morning. Vision for you. This is Judy F. from Massachusetts, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I could just identify into this uh, paragraph. Um, I had been hospitalized um, for two months for my compulsive reading and, and depression um, so many years ago. And, and when I, I got out, I too, along with my, my boss, thought, okay, you know, I was in there for two months. I, I know the problem and um, I lost some weight and I'm in a good place. And to everyone's surprise, um, it took two months and I, I gained 60 pounds. I was right out there. It just took one bite of um and and the and the old behavior it never left it never left all i they i was in a hospital and they controlled my eating and we worked on quote you know my emotion and why i overate and um but there was no uh there was they recommended OA, but there was no um working the steps or getting a relationship with the higher power and I was back, and um, a year later, they let me go because I just, this disease robbed me of everything. It robbed me of my relationships and of 
I had been a hard worker. I was one of the top salespeople, and it just kept bringing everything down. And I, I, I ended up in in my apartment alone, binging all day, and so so desperate. Which I'm so grateful today. But it, you know, the everyone saw it, didn't understand it. You know, I went into the hospital. I should be fine now, and um, it proved that no human aid could help me and and I can't expect others who don't have this disease to understand and um and that's my story. Thanks and I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. But here's a typical example. This is the boss's response. Very interesting. But I'm sure this man is done drinking. He has just returned from a three-month leave of absence. He's taken a cure, looks fine, and to cleanse the matter, the board of directors told him this was his last chance. You know, this disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and not just for, for us, but for other people. He's like, you know, he's had his leave of absence. He's taken a cure. And what did we learn earlier in this book? We are never cured of this allergy. We can become recovered through these steps so we don't want to eat, but we're never cured. So what is, this, what is this employer looking at? This employer thinks the problem is the same thing we thought our problem was. Food and weight is our problem. So if, if we lose weight, problem is solved. Looks fine. Problem is solved. But what we have learned is food and weight is not our problem. We have this allergy of the body this, uh, this, and this obsession of the mind. And if that is not addressed, it doesn't matter if it's our last chance. It doesn't matter if we're threatened. It doesn't matter if we make those sweet promises. It doesn't matter if we swear with or with, you know, we swear off with or without the solemn oath. If we do not address the larger aspect of our disease, we're going to go back. You know, and I remember reading this chapter and thinking, why do I care about this? This is ridiculous. Well, you know, we're in step 12 now. We're practicing these principles in all of our affairs. But where do most of us spend the bulk of our days? The bulk of our days is spent at work. The bulk of my eating, my eating career was more important to me than the career of what I did for a living. You know, and I think back to more about alcoholism when it says some of the methods that we tried. It talks about here never, um, never, never drinking in the morning, drinking only at home, never drinking in the house, never drinking during business hours, swearing off forever without, with and without the solemn oath. You know, um, where is it here? Agreeing to resign if ever drunk on the job. These are all the promises that we make. But if we are truly compulsive overeaters, this malady, which this gentleman is trying to describe, doesn't care. It doesn't care. Our employers care. Our employers look at us. They see our potential. They see that we can be an incredible worker when we are without the food. You know, when we are sane. We are never going to be sane. We're not going to be restored to sanity unless we work these 12 steps. So this is what the outside world is saying. Look, he's done drinking. He's not drinking right now. Look, she's lost the weight. Look, she's put on weight. Look, she's not binging and purging. She's taken a cure, a human aid cure, human aid cure. She looks fine. And, I, and the board of directors told him he has his last chance. How could she not stop? How could she not stop? Because I have this disease, and unless it's addressed through these 12 steps and with God, 
there are going to be periods of, pre- of temporary reprieve, but I will go back to the food again and again and again. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Go ahead, Christy. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And this reminds me of an experience I had a few years ago where one of the managers, I, who was not in my department, I just happened to sit near him, and he came to me and he said, you know, I, I know that you sometimes talk to Paul, and I'm really concerned about him, and I want to share something with you in confidence. And I said, of course, you know, because I protect people's anonymity today, you can share that with me. And he just said, you know, we're at a loss. He's, uh, you know, he's gotten a DUI. He didn't show up because he was in jail. He didn't show up for work. And he's a 20-year employee. He's the best employee I have on my team. He is the best employee I have on my team, but I need him to be here. And, um, you know, of course, human resources was involved. And I said, you know, from my experience as a 12-stepper, as a and I knew Paul from 12-step programs, I said, from my personal experience, as a 12-stepper, you know, there's typically two choices here, accept help or um, continue drinking. And the continue drinking path means you leave. And that's exactly the choice they gave him, accept help and keep your job or resign. And he opted to resign and within a few months had, had drank himself to death. And, um, you know, that is a tragic illustration of what addiction does, you know, to to us. And I know for me, of course, I didn't ever get a, I've never gotten a DUI or had that experience, but it does remind me of the kind of employee I was. Um, My, you know, my, everything I could throw at work to try to do a good job consisted of me living in fear that they were going to find out I wasn't really a very good employee at all. And my remedy to that was to eat. And my, and my, the way I ate is, you know, I didn't want people to see that I was, you know, eating like a rat who hadn't eaten for months. I was in a bathroom stall, you know, trying to, you know, quietly unwrap candy bars. That's how I spent my time. That's what I was throwing at work is me in a bathroom stall quietly unwrapping candy bars. I'd eat the one that I bought in public and then I'd take the second one I bought in the bathroom stall and that's what I was spending my time at work doing. And, you know, step 12, as Kim mentioned, you know, the second part of step 12 says, to put, you know, have, of course, the first part, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics, and the second part is very important, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Now, it's one thing to put the food down, and it's a whole other thing to live life every day, day in, day out, without finding it necessary to go to the food. And that's what the steps have done for me. You know, I work... You know, I work through the steps with my sponsor and with other fellows in recovery as though my life depended on it. Forget about my job. Who cares about my job? I care about my life today. I want to live, you know, I want to live free of addiction. I want to live free of addiction. And today, today, because of the grace of God and the steps of this program and living life, you know, in recovery as though my life depended on it, I'm an exemplary employee. People want to work with me. People come to me to solve problems. You know, again, problem-solving skills, bathroom opening, candy bars quietly. I was so good at that. And today, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an excellent employee 
only because of the 12 steps. And, uh, you know, I'm just so grateful I can go to work. And, you know, my motto is to be of service at work. I just happen to get paid for it. But that's what I do. And it has saved me, saved me. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Well, let's move on. Esther, would you please read the next two paragraphs for us? Good morning. My name is Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. The only answer I could make was that if the man followed the usual pattern, he would go on to a bigger bust than ever. I felt this was inevitable and wondered if the bank was doing the man an injustice. Why not bring him into contact with some of our alcoholic crowd? He might have a chance. I pointed out that I had had nothing to drink whatever for three years, and this in the face of difficulties that would have made nine out of ten men drink their heads off. Why not at least afford him an opportunity to hear my story? Oh, no, said my friend. This chap is either through with liquor or he is minus a job. If he has your willpower and guts, he will make the grade. Um, And so the employer here is similar to many uh, alcoholics or compulsive eaters themselves. They they believe that periods of abstinence or sobriety, um, you know, are a sign of recovery or they believe that some serious consequence, like losing your job, um, becoming sick in some way, um, also is a deterrent to uh, drinking or compulsive overeating. But we know as former compulsive eaters ourselves that frothy emotional appeal seldom suffices, meaning that um, no matter what the how high the stakes are, that's not going to bring us to recovery. And, of course, as was mentioned in the previous paragraph, periods of sobriety or periods of abstinence is not recovery, and, and, and that's, that will end at some point. You know, when, when the day will come when, when, when I will take that compulsive bite again, the mental obsession will take over if I'm only abstinent. But, of course, this employer does not know that, doesn't understand this, this idea that, that he's being told. And so, uh, you know, this alcohol, former alcoholic who's, uh, who's trying to, you know, knock some sense into the employer of the, of the uh, drinking man is, is, is in a state of frustration. So really, in these kind of scenarios, all we could do is um, is watch a person fall because it, it, it usually takes a, a good hard fall, you know, bef- uh, quite a bit of pain before someone is willing to uh, see things in a different way, whether it's the person who's currently drinking or even um, their family members or, or their em- employers. Uh, they don't understand the disease any, any better than the, you know, than the, uh, drinking man does, and and uh, maybe they need to watch a person fall before, you know, they have an understanding of what will be a real solution for the drinking man's problem. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Esther. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Melanie, compulsive overeater. Go ahead, Melanie. Good morning. My name is Melanie. I'm a, a compulsive overeater in Oregon. I'm uh, reading this, and as a compulsive overeater, looking at a place to identify in, and my personal experience around this particular situation where the employer is saying, oh, no, he's fine, he's gotten this threat, that sort of thing. I want to tell you that in my environment, we had many um, people that were grossly overweight, and um, there was no discussion 
about that weight factor by an employer. Um, it all came out in terms of performance um, appraisals, you know, at, at an end of a year or, or mid-year or something like that. And the pattern was clear, but there was no conversation, so this makes it a little trickier. You know, I didn't come to work um, with uh, booze on my breath and, and falling over myself, that kind of thing. But I can tell you absolutely that there is a denial that many of us would come together and, and um, lose copious amounts of pounds and weight and things like that. And, and then when we go back up, inevitably, there was no discussion about it, even from the boss. Yet I want um, to be real clear that we were absolutely a drain, absolutely a drain. And this disease, I mean, on, on the, the, uh, the company's funds, I didn't have not one ounce of sick leave on a book. I was not um, a good productive employee. We spent tons of time avoiding and dancing around. I can see it very clearly now what kind of a financial drain we were on that company, not productive. And, um, and so that leads me into the idea of just how much more cunning, baffling, and powerful a disease of compulsive overeating is that, that an employer may not even be able to put those things together. Like it might be as obvious um, for them to even have the, the chance to say, oh gosh, you know, he knows he's gone for good. It just doesn't come up in, in, in that way that I ever saw. So um, I just find this kind of interesting to be able to identify in, in that way to truly see whether or not I was falling down on a job or had booze in my breath. Clearly, I was a drain, financial drain, um, not a good team player, um, and that the boss couldn't even really see what the pro real problem was to be able to even come to this point, at least in the job that I was in, without a pass. Thank you, Melanie. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, the, the thing that I see here is here is someone recovered trying to explain to this employer what the progression of the disease looks like, what the pattern looks like. You know, the only answer I could make was that if the man followed the usual pattern, he would go on a bigger bust than ever. You know, that's what he's explaining to the employer here. His own experience. His own experience. You know, the malady, the spiritual malady, He'd spent two hours talking about that malady, describing the symptoms and the results as best he could from his own experience, from his own experience. You know, saying, I too suffered from this pattern. You know, I too had no control. You know, control that was like holding your breath underwater, that sooner or later you're going to come up and you're going to have to pick up that food again, even if you put the food down for a while white knuckling it all the way and I've been there. I've been there. But the employer says if he has your willpower and guts, he will make the grade. And I look at that and I say to myself, oh, people who are not compulsive overeaters cannot possibly know to the extent that we know, that I know being a compulsive overeater, that guts and willpower had absolutely nothing to do with it, although I certainly tried to depend on that for a very long time. Thinking if only, if only I just dug deep and got to that willpower, that I would be able to put the food down and keep the food down. But that was not the pattern, and that's not the pattern, the big book says, for us. It's not the pattern for us that we can break this thing ourselves. 
that it's a spiritual malady with a spiritual solution. And he's been trying to explain that to the employer. But I agree, you know, it takes one to know one. You know, someone who is a compulsive overeater, I can see in you the compulsive overeater that other people can't see. And you can see that in me. You know, that we, are, that we suffer from this progressive illness. But it does have a spiritual solution. Thank you, God. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move on? All right. Katie, would you read the next two paragraphs Leah. for us, please? Go ahead, Leah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. I, too, wanted to just comment on on that sentence as well. Uh, the only answer I could make was that if the man followed the usual pattern, he would go on a bigger bus than ever. Uh, as you were saying, you know, with the usual pattern, that progressive nature, you know, of the illness. Um, you know, the most dangerous part of the illness of alcoholism is not when the alcoholic is drinking. You know, it's when, when the alcoholic is not drinking. Because he's thinking about drinking. You know, the real problem, of course, centers in in our minds, telling us it's okay to, to, to drink rather than our body that ensures that we can't. So the fact that he's eliminated alcohol uh, just leaves him with the most dangerous aspect of the illness. Um, you know, and and that's... That's just the reality of our disease. Controlled drinking doesn't work for alcoholics, neither does sobriety. That's called alcoholism. Alcoholics can't drink and they can't not drink um, because of that greater aspect of the disease. And it doesn't matter that, you know, this was his last chance. We have an inability to leave it alone no matter how great the wish. It's like our pain has no memory. You know, so he's put it down because there's been a threat. You know, stop drinking, essentially. Stop drinking. Well, that's frothy emotional appeal. You know, his employer has said, stop drinking. Well, his parents probably told him to stop drinking, and his spouse probably told him to stop drinking. Now his employer is breathing down his neck, telling him to stop drinking. His doctor has probably told him to stop drinking. Perhaps his children have pleaded with him to stop drinking. That Stop drinking means nothing to us. Because in our minds, we think, you know, there's going to be a day where we're going to be able to beat the game. We're going to be able to beat this obsession on our own. Uh, it goes on to say here at the bottom, um, you know, if, if he has your willpower and guts, he will make the grade. You know, we are beyond human aid. You know, we are beyond human aid. And if we've placed ourselves beyond human aid, then uh, all this pleading and all this frothy emotional appeal and even even the consequences uh, aren't enough. You know, everybody focuses on the problems that alcoholism causes or the problems that compulsive overeating causes, you know, the medical consequences or these diminished uh, productivity at work. Uh, but that doesn't help you understand the disease at all because the real problem is even after all the damage, even after all the consequences that this gentleman has had in the workplace, even after all the uh, consequences and damage is explained in excruciating detail to this gentleman, he will still go out and pick up that first drink. And that decision occurs while he is sober. And that is the insanity we're talking about. That's what powerless means. 
It means in a situation where you have no defense against that first drink, despite all the pain, despite all the threats, despite all the consequences, despite the results of living in this illness, you have no mental defense against the first drink. And that's what this employer does not understand. We understand that today, thank God. We understand what will restore our sanity for us. According to the big book, it's not going to be our inner strength. It's not going to be our willpower. It's not going to be knowledge of the illness. It's not going to be our determination. And it's not going to be any human creation. None of those things is going to be enough. As human beings, we cannot restore our sanity on our own. We are going to need the help of a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Katie, would you read the next two paragraphs for us? Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater recovered here in Virginia. Presently, the man did slip and was fired. Following his discharge, we contacted him. Without much ado, he accepted the principles and procedures that had helped us. He is undoubtedly on the road to recovery. To me, this incident illustrates lack of understanding as to what really ails the alcoholic and lack of knowledge as to what part employers might profitably take in salvaging their sick employees. If you desire to help, it might be well to disregard your own drinking or lack of it. Whether you are a hard drinker, a moderate drinker, or a teetotaler, you may have some pretty strong opinions, perhaps prejudices. Those who drink moderately may be more annoyed with an alcoholic than a total abstainer would be. Drinking occasionally and understanding your own reactions is possible for you to become quite sure of many things which, so far as the alcoholic is concerned, are not always so. As a moderate drinker, you can take your liquor or leave it alone. Whenever you want to, you control your drinking. Of an evening, you can go on a mild bender, get up in the morning, shake your head, and go to business. To you, liquor is no real problem. You cannot see why it should be to anyone else, save the spineless and stupid. And, of course, this is exactly, you know, how we um, we meet people who do not understand um, compulsive overeating and, you know, can push away a piece of, you know, rich cake and say I'm full or, um, you know, who can eat more than two bites of that, it's so rich. And, you know, for me, that's just complete, it doesn't, um, it doesn't matter. It, you know, the difference between a compulsive overeater and a normal eater or someone who just likes food likes good food is that we don't um, slow down as we eat. We speed up as we eat, regardless of there is no fault. And, you know, the, this is talking to employers, trying to explain to them that they have to put, a, put aside what they think about eating and what they think about um, addiction, because if they don't have it, they will not understand it. Um, and it's it's great that uh, there are, you know, there is so much more awareness of um, health issues, but I'm sorry, <laughs> it's not getting better. You know, this country is on, you know, the first time since civilization, a, uh, a country that is, you know, a developed country, their mortality rate is going down because of obesity. I mean, it's just, it's so sad and awful. 
Um, but the thing that is so good here is that, you know, once he did, he was fired. He wasn't part of this position anymore, but he did um, get in contact with, with AA folks. And, you know, a lot of employers are heading people to, you know, they're bringing them to the water, but that doesn't mean they're going to drink. But, you know, we can still be there for people. We can bring the knowledge to our workplaces and just hope that, um, you know, it will, that when someone is ready, they will pick up that bike, pick up the phone and um, ask for help. Uh, I see just such a huge, um, you know, the sad thing to me for people who keep going back out is the is the pride. You know, as humiliating as compulsive overeating can be, my worst memory is, or you know, one of my worst public memories of my eating was me in uh, when I was in my early twenties and working in a professional job. And we would have these luncheons, and for our you know business people, and um, in my position, I you know got to clear the conference room, and so I cleared the conference room, and then I would wear out a path walking back into the kitchen, back into the kitchen, back into the kitchen, eating the leftovers. And one time, my boss walked in as I'm shoving something in my mouth, and oh, that you know, if the floor could have swallowed me up. I, you know, would have been so happy. But he said to me, um, well, that's an interesting way to eat for someone who wants to lose weight. And, you know, I just, I was so humiliated. But, um, you know, that's what this disease does. And, you know, I'm grateful today that I'm in a workplace where we don't have a lot of food around. I don't have to constantly explain, no, thank you, no, thank you. But, um, you know, this knowledge is very helpful for employers, but it's not a cure. Um, uh, but that'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on what was read? This is Kim. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning again, Janice. Wow, this is this is big stuff here. It says, as a moderate drinker, you can take your liquor or leave it alone. To you, liquor is no real problem. You cannot see why it should be to anyone else save the spineless and the stupid. Save the spineless and the stupid. I mean, that's what we that's what they thought of alcoholics. They were spineless and they were stupid. And God knows I had a lot of eye rolling and stupid looks coming my way. Because back, you know, in, in this time, the problem wasn't that these guys were drank. The problem is they got drunk. So how can, why can't they just have one? The problem isn't the first beer. The problem is you're drinking and you're getting drunk. I can drink and not get drunk. Why can't you drink and not get drunk? The same way, come on, just have a piece of cake. The piece of cake isn't the problem. The problem is you have the whole cake. So just have a piece of cake. If you can't do that, you're spineless and you're stupid. You know, and that's a misunderstanding here. And I, I think back again to there is a solution when it goes over. How many times people have said to us, I can take it or leave it alone. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? That fellow can't handle his liquor. Why don't you try beer and wine? Lay off the hard stuff. His willpower must be weak. 
He could stop if he wanted to. She's such a sweet girl. I should think he'd stop for her sake. The doctor told him he, if he ever drank again, it would kill him. But there he is all lit up again. Now, these are commonplace observations on drinking, which we hear all the time. Back of them is a world of ignorance and misunderstanding. Because that's what the normal drinker, this says here, the moderate drinker, experiences with drinking. The moderate eater who can on Thanksgiving indulge or on the Super Bowl binge a little bit and get back the next morning doesn't get it. They think we're spineless and stupid. And unfortunately, that misunderstanding goes to the employers. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times it goes to doctors. I had two fellows in my area that in the fall, one went to an inpatient program, one went to an outpatient program. And both of them had dessert nights. Tuesdays and Fridays were dessert nights. We're going to show you how to have dessert, have your favorite foods, and just have a little. I'm going to show you what a proper portion is. And that way you can leave this facility. You can go out and you can, you can enjoy your food moderately. And if you can't do that, you're spineless and stupid. That's a great misunderstanding. I don't have that option. I am different than my fellows. I am different than the moderate drinker. And it's so confusing for those who do not have our problem. But we have to admit we are a distinct entity. We are a distinct entity. We have an allergy. And what is an allergy? An allergy is an abnormal reaction. I have an abnormal reaction. I cannot do what this moderate drinker does. I cannot have a slice of my, a slice, a sliver, a piece of my binge food and stop there. But I am not spineless and I am not stupid. I am a compulsive over and thank you God there is this 12-step program that can get me free. I can be free today if I accept those facts and walk through this book. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Well, this is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater again. And, and uh, this, what, we, what we've just been reading, the part where the man did slip and was fired, did slip and was fired, reminds me of a wonderful AA story where there was a man, just like the one they're talking about here, who actually workplace sent him to treatment. You know, he took the cure. He went to treatment. He came back. He was doing well. He actually knew about AA but said, you know, I've got it this time. I understand this time. Treatment did me a, did good. I don't need AA. Now I know what was wrong with me. Now I know all the skills and tools to avoid this place. And I remember the AAs looking at each other going, oh, this is bad. This is very bad. This is very bad. And the guy got a promotion, came back to work. You know, he's just doing fine, gets a promotion. The AAs are looking at one another going, oh, this is bad. This is very bad. And everybody else is going, well, how can you say it's bad? They're giving him a promotion. He's doing so well. He's not drinking. But the AAs knew what was going to happen if he was a true alcoholic, that he was going to slip again. The pattern was progressive and it was fatal and you couldn't stop it. So he was fired. He did slip. He started drinking again and he was fired. And the AAs looked at one another and said, now we're talking. Here we go. Now we're talking. Because when approached that time, just like this man, without much ado, he accepted the principles and the procedure 
that had helped us. He is undoubtedly on the road to recovery. And that was what the employer did not understand. That through no fault of his own, this man was going to be in the progression whether he wanted to or not. Whether he came back doing well and they gave him a promotion, wouldn't that be a good motivator? Wouldn't that be a good motivator? We're promoting you. So don't drink. But he couldn't stop himself. But he couldn't stop himself. And that's when AA had the solution to offer again. You know, that's the bright spot. That's the hopefulness in what we're reading. Is that sometimes pain is the greatest motivator to effectuate change. And he had to get to the bottom, just like I had to get to the bottom, where I could see there was no way out. But someone had to offer me that help. Tell me. Educate me. Show me that there was a spiritual solution. You know, thank you, God, because then I could embrace it. And not one second before. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? All right, then we'll close here. I see our time is just about up, and we'll close here for today. And um, thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Penny C., could you please read that for us? Yes, thank you, and thank you for this wonderful meeting. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.